0: The second of losses, I'm heading the mouth. Yeah, I had to go delegate. They feel like I'm floating, I'm lost in the moment. That's why i never say. They never believed that I would really float the stray. I had to set them straight. The second of losses I'm heading the mouth.
1: What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Mindset Cafe Podcast. It's your boy Devin, as always, and Here we're we're trying to bring you further on your journey, right? Whether it's personal development, whether it's entrepreneurship, whether it's in your relationships, and all that is through mindset. And we like to do that with you know other people's journeys and giving you value from their journeys, their perspectives. So today I got a good friend of mine. His name is Scott Ramage. He is in the RBO mastermind with me. He owns the uh, VA media group, right? And well, it's VAVP, we'll get into that in a second, right? (laughs) As well as he he has a podcast, um, the Brotherhood of Fatherhood. So thank you so much for coming on today, Scott. How are you doing? (laughs) I'm I'm
0: doing great. I had some technical difficulties on my side, so I'm glad we're getting started and this is going to be fun.
1: Thank you. Well, thank you for taking the time to hop on. I know you got you know a lot on your plate. I know we're uh, new clients of yours as well. So I'm excited to kind of dive into you know your whole start and everything. So where did where did your entrepreneurial path you know kind of start?
0: Oh my gosh, it started back in the early 2000s. So uh, I'm going to age myself here, but I was an educator. I was an educator by by um, training, master's degree in education. And after doing some uh, work in the, in the um, social work arena, I moved over to education and did that for 13 years. But it was just three years into being a teacher that I was bored to death and realized that I wasn't designed to just do the normal career path. And I absolutely love teaching. So I actually started by opening my own bike shop, brick and mortar business right out of the gates. In um, man, I can't even remember the year. Maybe two thousand four, two thousand three, and that's how I got started. And so I did that while I taught. So I had a a, a little bike shop that turned into three thousand square foot floor, seven full time employees, and I was teaching full time in the public schools.
1: Oh wow! I mean, yeah. so when you're saying bike shop, you mean like bicycles or like motorcycles?
0: Bicycles. Uh, I was I I was uh, master mechanic in grad school, and worked my way through grad school working in a bicycle shop, and I raced as well. And so I would do it for summer work while I was teaching. And I just really didn't like how the guy was running the business. I'm like, well, I think I'm just going to have to do this myself. I told my wife, I'm going to just. I'm people are paying me to work on their bikes. It's really cool. So I'm just going to rent this 300 square foot spot. It's just gonna be, you know, after hours, just kind of a hobby thing. And it was like three months later, we we moved into a big place and we just exploded. So uh, we were in a that was in the Pacific Northwest. I was kind of at the at the base of a really epic trail system for mountain biking, and there was a huge road biking community there. So it just kind of came from a passion and
1: turned into a business really fast. That's awesome. So you said. You're, you're, when you were racing, it was a, you were racing mountain bikes.
0: Yeah. Mountain bikes in New England. I went to school in Massachusetts. So I would uh, train all around, like I was going to race every, all year round, but I'd only race in the, in the winter season, the mountain bike season. And um, it was, it was great. I even continued racing back uh, when I was well into my career. Actually, out while I owned my bike shop, I was doing what's called enduro ra- uh, downhill or endurance racing. So you know, fifteen mile downhill races, where you have to have endurance, but also uh, <laughs> a lot of uh, a lot of guts. I guess is the word I'll use.
1: I was going to say, cojones. Like you know, I've seen I've seen some of those videos, and I mean, I've only done I've done mountain biking like once or twice like that. And honestly, I I realized very quickly that it wasn't for me, (laughs) you know? Well, I'll be very clear. I wasn't very good, but I sure enjoyed it. So I mean, that's awesome. I mean, yeah, it's so you guys don't start at the top and race down necessarily, or is that just the enduro one or do you guys go up and back down?
0: Oh my gosh, if it were up and down, I would have loved it even more. Cause I love climbing. Um, but no, that one was just 13 miles of downhill. Of course, when you have thirteen miles of downhill, there's gonna be up. And so it's 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 like you you'll get this. It was like a hit training session. It was like, you know, full on adrenaline, then you're just grinding as hard as you can, you can barely breathe and then full downhill again. And that was that's I probably why they call it enduro <laughs> yeah.
1: and those downhills probably weren't long enough you know like in terms of obviously the length might have been longer but the time frame going downhill versus going uphill is you know completely right. different yeah
0: yeah and you're doing between you know 15 and 45 miles per hour in the mountain it's a little nuts i was crazy man
1: no that, that's I'm why so crazy said it stories. Wasn't. that's why i said it wasn't for me like I realize all of a sudden you're you're going down. You can't just hit the brakes and stop. You slide, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But I think or you fly I,
0: over the handlebars
1: into uh, a tree. <laughs> yeah. That's that's when I realized that that I got a lot of skills and a lot of talents, and that is not one of them, nor do I want to try to make it one of them. But yeah. I think it's cool because I mean, even in the enduro racing, like you re- referred back to it like almost entrepreneurship or hit training, right? It's one of those things where the the downhill, even though the length is longer, the time is quicker, right? And then even the uphills, you might hit a little mini hill that's going uphill and the length isn't that long, but the time it might take to get up that short little hill might be two times the amount it took you to get down the first hill. So I think that, you know, it's one of those comparisons that you can kind of relate it to life that, you know, sometimes the good, good times and everything go pretty fast and When the tough times hit or an obstacle hits, it may not be that long, but days seem like weeks or weeks seem like months, right? Oh man, let me take that even a step further if you don't mind. So in
0: entrepreneurial, when you're an entrepreneur a business owner, you're gonna go through ups and downs. And when you're struggling, the ups, you're really struggling, but that's what builds you. So when you're climbing on a mountain bike, that's what that's what's creating. You're building a stronger heart. It's what's creating an endurance, uh, or a, you know, a, a different level of fitness. And you could get more into detail than this, and me. But so it's just like in business, so many people quit because they fail. They they see a failure and like, I oh, it didn't work. But instead of building their endurance and working through that failure. They stop. Well, what happens if you just keep going? You're going to get stronger and you're going to, you're going to catch a downhill. You're going to catch a lot of speed. You're going to get some great wins. You're going to make money. And then you just have to be prepared. We have to train just for business ownership, exactly how we train for endurance. Um, and, and, you know, sporting events, we've got to train for the ups, the downs, the, the. The coasting, if you will, and the and the steep ascents, and the get off your bike and carry it because it's not you can't even ride through that. It's the same with entrepreneurship. You 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 stop and you look at what's going on and you reach out to somebody and they help you carry your way through that. Right? It, so it it's, it's a great analogy. I've never done that before, but I I like, thank you for that. That was awesome.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. I mean, it's cool. I mean, you don't always get those things are those events in people's lives that you can compare necessarily or create an analogy. But, you know, when we create graphs and stuff like that, and I know I've posted them, you posted them, you know, over our course of, you know, entrepreneurial careers. Um, But like the bar graphs going up and down, like it's, it's a mountain, right? So yeah, it is. But whether you're looking at, you know, your, your profits and your losses, or you're looking at your journey and your growth and your fitness or whatever, like no path is going to be a straight shot. Right, and if it is a straight shot, then I guarantee you're not looking at every aspect or looking at everything. There's some some fluctuations that could be improved, right? Or obstacles oh, yeah. aren't being reported. So it's one of those things to note that it ups and downs are natural in life, right? Wherever there's an easy time, there's going to be a tough time. There's no just coasting in life, right? So yeah, let's let's fast forward. So you had your bike shops. Do you still own the bike shops?
0: So what happened was I was sacrificing too much time in my business and and education. I was was getting up at 4am, going to the bike shop, doing a workout because the gym was right next to it, Uh, go home, shower, ride my bike to school, work at school all day, come straight home to the bike shop and work there till 8 or 9 and I had a newborn. And so then I had my second kid and what happened at some point, I looked at myself, my life and I'm like... This is not what I wanted. My wife and I were like business partners, like life—you know, home partners. We weren't living the life that we really wanted as best friends and we really enjoyed each other. And I didn't even know my kids. And I was just a horrible father. And I was a horrible husband. I mean, my wife says it wasn't that bad, but I say it was that bad. So I looked at her one day and I'm like, I really screwed up. And so we sought counsel, and I, this is an important message. Be careful who you ask questions from. And the the couple said, hey, you know what? Close your business and just go back to teaching because you know exactly what you're going to get paid. You know exactly what to expect. You know your hours. The worst advice ever because I'm an entrepreneur. I'm, a, I'm, I'm, cha- I'm out there chasing bigger ideas. So I did this. I, I found a buyer from my bike shop. It was profitable. It was a great business. You know, The, the employees were bought in. Every systems were in place. Everything was dialed in. Um, I wasn't the best operator, but you know it is what it is. And um, this guy was literally on his way to my business. We we're going to meet right next door at a restaurant to sign the contracts and, and bring the check. Literally on the way, and he called me from the car. He says, "I did this last minute call to this community college to ask them about the business, and they told me not to buy it." I'm like, "You got to be kidding!" You're asking a community college professor who doesn't run a business to, you know. And so, literally, he said, "I'm not coming." and i had already made a commitment to my wife i'm getting out of this thing i'm going to i'm going to devote and turn my life back into being a great husband and great father and i made the decision at that moment like i guess i'm just going to shut the doors so i had like one day of liquidation and what happened was i literally Incurred because we were at an inventory cycle, I incurred three hundred and fifty thousand dollars of debt overnight, shut the doors, stored it, put everything in store storage uh, sold it for pennies on the dollar on on eBay for the next two years, but went into debt to save my family and that 's really where you know the my story begins is um, at that moment, devin, you know as a business owner. We have we put so much of our identity in what we do. And I just lost my identity overnight. Like I because I was rooted in being the bike guy. And everybody all of a sudden didn't want to be around me because I didn't have the the hookups. It was amazing how many friends I had. And then when I really realized who my friends were. So not only now am I in massive debt with a teaching salary, um, I have now lost my identity on who I was. And uh I just was lost. I was, com- I was just completely lost. And I went back to this career and I gave it my all, but I just wasn't fulfilled. And the biggest problem was I went from working all, you know, hundreds hour, a hundred hours a week. It, I mean, it was crazy. On the weekends, I'd be out mountain biking. <laughs> I was like, like I just was an idiot. So um, I didn't know how to be a father or husband anymore. I literally had no relationship. I was like, I beat that around them. Like, I, I don't, I don't know what to do. Like. I was completely lost. It was hell. It was absolute hell. Wow. So It, it was a, a real transitional time. Two years of very deep depression in that, in that point in my life, trying to figure out who I was, what I wanted to do, how I was going to overcome this, how I was going to really... I, I, I didn't know that I had an identity crisis, but I didn't know who I was. So it was a, it was a, real, it was a real deal, man.
1: So before we come back to the identity Aspect, because I think that's actually a huge, a huge topic and a huge key piece. I want to rewind real quick to something you said that I think it's a, a really big piece of knowledge that we kind of went over a little, a little fast. When you said, be careful who you seek counsel from, right? Yeah. Explain that in a little more detail. Like what do you mean by that? Because I, I, I know what you mean. And I think yeah. that is the big one of the biggest nuggets that you know people need to realize. So, what what happened in in that sense, or what are your, what's your advice in that sense? So, I went to a business owner for counsel,
0: and his wife was a teacher. So, I thought this is perfect, right? We got the teacher, we got the business owner, and I saw him as a ridiculously um, successful. And we sat down with them, and they asked a few questions, and they said, you know, they said you know, actually, you should go back into teaching because that's a, that's a safe career. That's what you paid money in college for. It's what you what you do. And But then what I realized is they didn't ask enough questions and I didn't ask enough questions. What I didn't know at the moment was that he was in the process of selling his business to his partner to become a teacher. So he was literally advising me on his path not on the information I was giving him on my path. And so I think that when we go seek wise counsel, we have to ask a lot of questions. Is this person where I want that to be? If I'm going to ask somebody for help, I don't need to ask somebody who is Running from where I want to be. I don't need to ask somebody who has not quite gotten there yet. I need to ask someone who is where I see myself in 10 years wanting to be and plant my flag on that and sit down and ask the questions first to really assess if that's the person I want to take advice from. I didn't seek any other counsel outside of family who all just wanted me to have more time with my family. And the way they saw that was teaching again. And like, look, I, another really important lesson is like, I had a, my, my coach that I pay right now. He's like, I want you to come back to the meeting with what you would change over time. And I spent <clears throat> a week just toiling over this. And I finally told my wife the day before, I'm like, I'm going to, I'm, he's going to be so mad at me. I would not change anything. I would not change going into debt $350,000. I would not change that two years of depression. I would not change closing the, the, the bike shop down because every single decision that was made and every failure, I'm great at learning from failures, every failure that I encountered has formed and chiseled and made me into the person I am today who is now on a path for things way bigger than any of those other things could have taken me. Way bigger. My business will be and is already way bigger than I ever would have dreamed back then. So I went to him and I said, hey, and this is wise counsel, by the way. I went to him. I, I very fully vetted him. And I said, hey, man, I've been thinking a lot about your question. And I'm, I, I'm just going to tell you what's in my heart. I wouldn't change a thing. And you know what he said? He just was real quiet for a second. He goes, not many people pass the... Pass the test, but you just passed the test. <laughs> I passed the test and I felt amazing. And what I learned is that there's this really great book. And I wish I had the title in my head right now. It might be Dream Killers. And it was it's really short, and it's the story of who you let speak into your life. And there's these, there will always be people who are there who are operating out of their own vision and what looks to you to be safe. So as an entrepreneur, if you're listening, you all have those people in your family who think you're crazy for what you're doing if you would just go get a job. Even my my father-in-law, who who I love tremendously, he was a teacher his whole life, so it's very hard for him to understand. He texted me a year ago, and I was doing great in business. It was growing. I was providing for my family better than I ever had. And he texted me, and he said, Scott, I'm just so impressed with all the things you're doing. But someday I hope you just settle down and get a job. And and so that you kind of like it was like, like, wait, what, what? I'm like, I'm like out earning what I would as an educator, you know, three, four, five times. And you're telling me you hope that I settle back down and get a job. And so that is like because people are coming from their own frame and their own fears, we have to be very careful who we listen to.
1: A hundred percent. And I feel like the the first person that you you know were seeking counsel from, and realizing that he was making the same decision, he was trying to advise you on. It was almost like he was selling himself on making that decision, right? So, and sometimes we'll we'll give that advice or we'll get that advice. I mean, from others that are doing it or that have done what they're telling you, not because it's the best decision for you, but because they've d- done that decision and they're trying to basically convince themselves it's still the right decision. Um, so I think that's a huge piece of, you know, when you get advice, make sure you also get advice from a few people, right? You know, and, yeah. and really get advice from people that actually care. You know, they don't necessarily have to be an advisor or a, in the same industry. It could just be someone that, you know, genuinely wants to see you succeed. Right. So that's, that's one of the things that I think it was a huge key piece. And then, you know, going back to the identity um, issue that we talked about, I know I had my cousin who was a professional MLB player on the podcast, you know, a while back as well. And we kind of touched on this a little bit, but it was different because when you're an athlete, you have this, you know, I am a pro baseball player. I am a player for X team, you know, and so forth. And all of a sudden you retire and now, now what are you right? And same thing as a business owner, you know, and whether it's left like for myself in the gym and then now with the franchise for you with the bike shop and now with the VP company, you know, company, it's yeah. that, that is who you are. And so I can completely understand that identity crisis. All of a sudden, when you have no bike shop, what are some things that you had to do to shift your perspective of your own identity and your own self?
0: Well, let's just say it was more than a two year journey. <laughs> right. I did this over and over again. I started um, doing a lot of other things. I had many businesses; all were successful. I just moved, and um, I was always looking for the, the better, a better fit, or a better, better trajectory for me and my family. And I kept falling into that, into that trap of you know, I am these things. I am a like. Let me let me put this challenge out to you. You're not. You're not married. I don't believe right. Now I'm married and I have a daughter. Oh my gosh, I am so sorry. So you're, you're married, you have a kid. This is perfect. So you're married and you have a kid. Um, do you consider yourself a father and a husband? Yes. I would hope so. But here's the, the, the powerful thing that you have to think about, and it's, it will really kind of scare most people, is if your wife and daughter, or let's use my family because it's nicer to you. Let's say my wife and boys were driving and they all died in a car accident tomorrow. I am no longer a husband and a father. That can be taken away from you at any moment. If my identity is rooted in that, I have lost everything. Just like a business can be taken away from you. That's really deep, but it'll really make you assess that these are incredibly important things for me. My family, like that would just rip me to pieces, right? But I have to be so thoughtful about really what my identity is, understanding that any of the things, if I root them in a thing, that thing can be stripped away from me. And so, boy, that'll put you down a whole nother path because I love being a father. I mean, I have a podcast called The Brotherhood of Fatherhood. It is one of the greatest joys in my life. And now I have teenagers. I have a son that's out on his own. It is one of the greatest joys of my life. My great, The greatest joy in my life is my wife. We were best friends before we got married. We've been married 27 years. We could hang out with each other all day, every day and not get tired of each other. We could run businesses together. We could run businesses parallel. We can we can just have a blast together. And if I lost her, can I, I can't even fathom it. But then you got to understand that that can happen. And so I'm a believer in preparation. So for me, I'm going to prepare for whatever is coming down the road because that's how life works and understand that I am greater than the things that belong to me or attached to me. I am I am my identity is someone who's empathetic someone who wants to help other people, someone who has knowledge and wisdom from history of experiences and failures, someone who understands that my failures have defined who I am and are making me who I am because I am taking those failures and I am, I am failing forward, as John Maxwell says. And so identity is such a crazy thing, but it's very, very serious for, for MLB players, NFL players. You watch it all the time. They, they, even, even NFL players who retire that's been their that's been their identity. How hard is it to, to not? Because people are paying attention, they're in love with you, they, you know, you're the thing, you're in, you're on that team. And then all of a sudden you retire and you're like, what the hell am I doing? I'm bored to death. And I I have all this money. I don't care. Guess what they go do? They either go coach, they go announce, they get back into the game, is because they don't have an identity outside of any of that stuff defined.
1: No, definitely. And I think that it's also important with your current identity, like, let's say, you know, if you were to not root it down to, or if you were to root it down to something, right? Certain things like a father or a husband, you gain certain skills that you don't necessarily gain unless you are or were a father or a husband, right? To take your, your analogy or your your thing and shifted it a little bit different way. I would almost argue the fact that, you know, let's say God forbid anything did happen, you know, and my wife and my daughter are in the car, right. It's not that I'm no longer a father and a husband. I still am a father and a husband, right. The, the things aren't there. That, I, that wasn't stripped away from me. Right. So it's, it's, it's how you view it. Right. So, I agree. so even for an entrepreneur, right you're you've always been an entrepreneur right like once once that bike shop was open and even maybe you know sometime before you were an entrepreneur that never left you a bike shop owner yeah okay that's the one thing that left you so if you just got to realize the category of what you're classifying your identity to right like my mom passed but I'm still a son right So So true, (laughs) you know. So (laughs) yeah, it's it's all about how you think about it. So for a professional baseball player, or you know, something like that, it's yeah, you're no longer a professional baseball player, but you're still an athlete, right? Yep, you're still you're athletic, right? It's a
0: reframing, right? But if you if you so, I think I I I think what you're doing is giving me clarity on that. I am uh, that 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 temporary stamp. If I carry that as as that is the definition of me and it's taken away now I will always be a father whether my boys pass away or live you know I outlive them or I hope they outlive me I will always be a father I have experienced fatherhood but it you it, it, to a point where you actually can't strip it away exactly. so right so it's got to be so deep and so ingrained that you actually can't strip it away when I rooted myself as a Bike shop owner, and I, my bike shop ownership was stripped away. And uh, then I didn't know what I was, mm-hmm. right? And and so, but I, but that experience and the learning opportunities, and the things that I failed in, and things that I I succeeded in, formed me into the person that was able to take the next step forward.
1: Right, and that's the one thing, like you know, and and exactly nailed up right on the head. It's, it's reframing your perspective of the identity right so the one thing with with being an entrepreneur or you were a bike shop owner right it develops skills that the skills that you're tying to your identity and saying this is your identity of being empathetic or being you know creative being ambitious yeah those are all skills but those skills can apply to anyone so you're widening your identity right versus if i were to say who are you you're like well i'm motivated and said okay awesome high five you know it's like (laughs) But if, you know, if your identity is I'm a father and then I'm a, you know, a husband, I am an entrepreneur and this is, these are the things that I do because I am a father, because I am a, you know, entrepreneur, like naturally this is who I am.
0: They are a piece to the puzzle. Mm -hmm. So if something is pulled away from me, then I still have many pieces to me instead of being singular focused on that identity. I think it's kind of where I would, like. I would argue that pretty much every entrepreneur go, goes through this identity thing. Even uh, similar or someone that we know is Brett. Um, Brett not like he he walked away from his business, let it run on its own, moved to Mexico, and he went through an identity crisis well, because there wasn't that preparation. And of course he learned a ton from that and it's been incredibly powerful. But what, I, what I'm what i trying to say is don't be so rooted in one thing that it becomes a crisis. It creates a crisis. There's going to be a transition. There's going to be un- discomfort. There's going, I mean, if you lose a loved one, there's definitely going to be some discomfort and some shift that you have to make, but like ground yourself in so many things. Really powerful things that nothing can be stripped from you in
1: entirety. Exactly. So, now that, that's exactly what I was going to as well. And honestly, I agree with you 100%. And I think that's a huge piece right there of, of mindset. And I mean, it took you a two year journey to figure it out. And some people never figure yeah. it out, you know? So, it, that's, a, that's a high five to you because you were able to figure it out. You went through that journey and you were able to, you know, come out and, uh, Excited to continue to see your growth, you know. Thus far of knowing you, um, you know. So the transition happened from bike shop bike shop owner. Your you know personal development journey, and now how did you get into the VA or VP space?
0: Thank you for changing that VA. Yeah, everybody knows what a VA is virtual assistant. Well, not everybody. Um, I still used to post VA in my Facebook, and people are like. A veteran affairs. So I'm like, oh no, no, no. Let me let me clarify. But we call them virtual professionals because we really focus on uh, individuals that are very professional, have a lot of experience, in coming in with a, a in-depth knowledge of what they're going to be performing in your business. But I have a lot of entrepreneurial things that happen between bike shop and now. A lot. Very successful, believe it or not, in a nutritional MLM or direct sales company. I had no clue what that was, but that we had a lot of success. I think we were at the top 0.2% in the entire industry as far as success. Um, But, you know, when you do that kind of business, all you are is a marketing, you're a marketing and salesperson, and you don't own your own business. And so that was stripped away from us, like, like immediately, I've been. I did a bunch of other things. I owned a gym. You know, we have that in common. Um, I sold that. I was actually able to sell that when I relocated to Texas. But what happened was, I was, I was uh, a consultant for a fitness brand that had launched. I took them from six six clients to 182 gym clients. So we were selling B2B directly to businesses and I created their, their customer onboarding, their customer success, their customer journey. I was their customer success person. I did basically, I was the operator of their business and I was very, very, very efficient. And I always... I, one of my identities, self, I, self-proclaimed identities is I was get the get stuff done guy. You give it to me, I'm going to get it done. I, and I would do everything. I'd just, boom, just work, 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 work. So I worked myself into a crazy job. I, my pay never changed. I was consulting. But I was taking on more and more and more because I, I got more and more efficient and just kept building systems out. And so <clears throat> I was... Starting the podcast, the Brotherhood of Fatherhood, and the my mentor at the time said, "Scott, you 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 just keep adding more work to your plate." Like I I know. He's like, "What you need is a virtual assistant." And I'm like, "Okay, that sounds cool." I've talked to people about that, and he says, "But you'll never be successful about with it." Excuse me, what? He's like, "You're not going to have success with it. It's really hard." Uh, So you know, me being kind of a a anti-authoritarian type of person. I go and I I go down this big wormhole. I I go in, I take master classes, I buy courses, I get coaches. I learned everything there were was about VAs. I hired one, offloaded all my podcast stuff to her. And um in the meantime, I was running a mastermind for gym owners all over the world and I kept telling them how great this was. Like I have her, she's doing my podcast. And then I started creating SOPs and she started doing um tasks for me in my consulting work so she's doing a lot of the things i had to do and you know no big deal i'm getting it done it's done with excellence and she's actually doing it better and i'm like this is crazy and they're all like scott vAs don't work it sucks we've all tried it and and i kept talking about how great it was 3 months later i had three or four months later i can't quite remember the time frame i had four full time vAs and i had offloaded so much work from them you know i'd record myself doing it create an SOP send it to them or Create, send them the recording, they'd create an SOP. And I was like, okay, that looks good. Start executing every Tuesday. Start executing every week. Give me this report. Do this thing. Contact these clients, You know X, Y, and Z. And I'll, then I became... I was still the guy that did everything. So what did I do? I still filled all my time. I just kept taking on more and more for the company. Yeah. What an idiot. I wasn't getting paid more, but I was getting super efficient. Well, finally, these guys in the mastermind, they're like, Scott, you got to just shut up talking about VAs and just let us use yours because you obviously have some voodoo super science that figured this out because it's never worked for us. I'm like, man, ah, dude, I like having my team. It's really cool. And they kept asking and I finally did it. I finally did it. I And I my this guy paid me for a week of work and it covered... That VA's cost for the whole month. I was like, okay, I provide a service, someone pays, they think they, they're getting a great deal, and I'm getting a great, great, you know, it's, it's value exchange. I'm like, this is kind of cool. And so I created a business um, using VAs to help businesses, gym businesses. It was called VAs for Gyms. And um, I had a business partner, and we built that up. And that's how the whole journey began. And what I learned through that journey is, um, my education, okay, something that uh, I wondered why I ever did it. My degree in psychology, I love behavioral psychology, human psychology. Those two things made me really good at recruiting, made me really good at hiring, and made me really good at training. It's just like, I'm really good at it. And so then <clears throat> it just evolved into this business. And then after a while... I would talk to business owners and our, our, our service was, uh, you just give us the work, we do it. You tell us how to do the work, we do it. Like We were just a, a like, you assign, we do, right? And it was, it, there was no relationship between the virtual team and the client. It was just kind of a, uh, we fulfill. It was fulfillment, fulfillment business. But I get on with people and like, this person really needs their own team member. Like, they just really need someone that understands the culture of their business. And I was really experiencing some like struggle here because I I really wanted to sell them on my business, but I didn't, wasn't believing that it was the best opportunity for all of my clients. And I just went out on a limb. This person came in, was not even close to a fit. And I'm like, I can either tell them, you know, go find somebody that's a headhunter because that's what you really need, or I can just do it. So I just started doing it. And then a whole nother um, business was born, which we just renamed to Hire VP, Hire Virtual Professionals. And um, it's just taken off and we're serving business owners of all kinds. And it's just, I never thought that I would have like a virtual staffing company is kind of what I call it. Like, that's not sexy. But when I get to get on the phone with other business owners, I'm in my sweet spot. I get to have a conversation with people about, the same things I love doing is business. How do, we, how, do we, how do we leverage other people to really help you and get you into your own sweet spot? How do we keep you from in, being in the weeds like me to moving into a sweet spot? And so here's what I like to, to share with people. I share this story all the time. Number one, when they hired, when I left that fitness company that I was working for, consulting for, they had, to fire, or they had to hire five full-time people just to fulfill the SOPs and roles I was doing. Because I, I was doing more and more because I kept dating virtual professionals. So you start to like look at that. I was able to take me and duplicate me over and over and over again for a very great price and, and generate so much more work. And I just kept doing things that I loved to do. I was like, wait a minute. Right here is a business. This is, this is a business formula. So what I have now is that first company called VAs for Gems has turned into a media machine. We still service people. We do podcast editing. We do all these you know, things for clients. All I do is sales calls for that company when a sales comes in. Like it is 99% run by my virtual team because what I did is I built systems, SOPs, processes, onboarding, duplicatable things, systems, and now it's running like a machine. Hence why I named it Media Machine, and then I'm able to build this higher VP, and I bring people in. My entire team is virtual. I bring them in; they learn everything about my business, create SOPs, start executing. When those get too great, we take that SOP stack, and I say, "What do you not want to do?" And um, they're like, "Hey, we don't like doing this." Okay, hire for that position. Hire. Offload those those SOPs. Rinse, repeat. Rinse, repeat. Rinse, repeat. My team can grow. We just hired someone last weekend who will start executing tomorrow. That's the speed of on onboarding because it's so systemized, and anybody can do this. Anybody can do it. It's a really great formula, and so I'm super passionate about it. So that was a long answer to your question, but I get a little fired
1: up about it. (laughs) I know. I mean, honestly, like I'm your your fire and your motivation for this is why you know strive11 both the gym and the franchise you know we have partnered with you know your company as well and i told you you know i have something i'll be sending your way as well that not only your passion and your your knowledge and your motivation to learn more about it but your willingness to actually care about both the client and the the vp that you're bringing on I think it plays definitely a role in in some of the psychology and and degrees that you have in being that natural born teacher and that natural born leader and you know really caring about people. It it honestly it has that ripple effect in showing what you do when you're on the phone or when you're talking to a new client. Because I mean, the first time we met, I already knew this was something that we're going to do. You know, just from the way you spoke about it, explained it, and everything like that. So from your journey, from your You know, teaching to bike shop to, you know, gym to, you know, this, obviously, like we you know, had the analogy in the beginning, it's been a mountain, right? And there's been ups, there's been downs, right? What is that one piece of advice that you would give that young entrepreneur or that person that's you know facing that down phase in their life that you know would help them on their journey?
0: Yeah, I think for, for starters, uh make sure you know who you're giving weight to, who you're listening to. And so when the family comes to you and says you're crazy or you're not going to make it, just get a job or whatever it is, you, you've got to quiet those. You've got to love those people, but you've got to quiet it. And then just go out and very intentionally and find the person that you want to become, whether it's the the business level that they're at or the way that they operate their teams or the way they carry themselves, whatever it is, and Find out a way to make them your mentor. Now, this is crazy. I learned this myself. Is um, you don't always have to pay a mentor, and they don't always have to talk to you. You need to latch on to someone. That means you can listen to their podcast and, and read every blog they put out and study their website, emulate them, start to understand people. Good people will give everything for free. So, I'm not you know, I pay people, but they're, they're, everything out there is free. You just be very careful of who you're listening to. And who you listen to your family, love your family, but understand they're coming from a different place unless they've been entrepreneurs. And then the other one is the mountain analogy again. This is a really good analogy. When you're top of the mountain, there's not a lot of vegetation. There's not a lot of life because it's cold, it's windy. And we all want to get there because the view is spectacular, but you're going to eventually have to come down. Always. I, you know, I don't care if I do $6 million in revenue next year. I'm still going to have to come down from that mountain. Things are never going to be easy. They're always going to be tough. But the real visual I want you to have is when you get down into the valley, you're trudging through mud or whatever it is. These the it's low points. That's where all the vegetation is thick. Everything is growing. That is where you gather all of your nourishment. It's where you gather all of the things that are going to give you the sustenance, the knowledge, and the the gumption to get back up to that mountain. So view every phase in that step as growth, and you will not fail because every little failure will catapult you beyond that point the next time, and you'll just keep you'll two steps back, three steps up. And that's just the way it is. But just understand that the, the tough times are where you are getting the fruit that is going to carry you through everything else. A really great book that talks about some of this is The Gap and the Gain, which I would say everybody should read. And um, it talks about focusing on the gains in life instead of the gaps in life. And, and when I look now at my failures, I see them as gains. And I think that's been a huge shift in everything I've done. And it's been the last five years. It's really when I've kind of started to shift into the right position where I always looked at these things as like, man, I wasted that part of my life and I wasted that part of my life. And that was a lot of wasted time, me thinking I wasted instead of saying, oh,
1: that was just the next catapult to the next thing. No, I mean, that was right there. If, if you just listen to that part of the, the episode, that was just nuggets on nuggets on nuggets. That was awesome. No, honestly, I, I definitely want to bring you back on, you know, for another episode so we can dive into your, your psychology and your, your teaching and some like of that. Cause honestly, I mean, the analogies and stuff you give it's, it's a lot of things that I do with my team and stuff. And honestly, I, I think it's huge in your comprehension of that and being able to compare it to real life is huge. But, you know, I know that anyone that's listening right now definitely got some, some nuggets. And if you're an entrepreneur, please, you know, reach out to, to Scott um, Scott, what, where could they, you know, reach you if, if they wanted to hire a VP?
0: Yeah, just look me up on Facebook or Instagram. It's Scott Ramage, S-C-O-T-T-R-A-M-M-A-G-E. We are in the process of changing our website. So that gets a little, I can't give you a website because it's going to take you to the wrong place. Um, but the company is media machine and, and transitioning to hire VP, but Instagram and Facebook are the best.
1: Okay. No, I'll put your Instagram definitely in the show notes. Uh, but no, honestly, sincerely, I appreciate you've taken the time out to hop on today, and you know, share your story. And I am looking forward to connecting again and diving more into one identity, but two, also your your understanding and knowledge of psychology itself. So I just right. want to thank you again for taking, it, taking the time.
0: Thank you very much, Devin. It was an absolute honor.
1: we we'll, uh, we'll definitely talk soon.